Welcome to PS Exhibitions Podcast. I am your co-host, Erica. And I'm your co-host, Virginia. Today, we're joined by Jesse Egner. Hi, Jesse. How are you today? Hi. Doing pretty good. Great. How are you guys doing? Good. 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 Just glad you're here with us. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for coming on again. Absolutely. You can check out our first podcast episode um, with Jesse called Defining Disidentification with Jesse Egner. It aired on June 30th. So if you'd like to know more about his work, I encourage you to please check it out. But for this particular episode, we are talking about his work in our new exhibition, Pink, the Coded Color. So Jesse, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So uh, I'm an artist working primarily with photography and a little bit of video. Um, I mainly do um, portraits of myself and some other queer people. And I like to use like weirdness and a little bit of absurdity and some humor to kind of explore um, like non-normative queerness, Um, particularly like the intersection of um, queerness with like body diversity or neurodiversity. I finished my BA from Millersville University a couple of years ago, and I also just finished my MFA from Parsons just about a little over a year ago now. Um, and I currently live in Brooklyn. Wonderful. And congratulations on finishing your MFA. Thank you. So in the context of the current exhibition, what is your relationship with the color pink? Yeah. So. I think, I think like, um, like many queer men before coming out, um, I spent like a lot of years of my younger life, like really needing to like repress things that were like feminine or queer coded or could be seen as like weak or soft. And I also didn't want to like bring too much attention to like myself or my body. So like pink was like definitely out of the question for like fashion or accessories or anything that would have like any physical relationship with my body. And I think at one point I finally said, like, screw that. Like, I wonder if it was like maybe like my move to New York when I saw that like people standing out and being different were more like appreciated. Um, But like in kind of thinking about that, um, I kind of also realized that like even though I was kind of like afraid of like being seen as like feminine and like weak and soft, like I realized that pink is actually a very bold, strong color Um, and it really like grabs your attention Um, So it's interesting how it can be, like, associated with, like, weakness and softness, but also, like, be, like, bold and flashy. And so since I like to use, like, a lot of, like, weirdness and absurdity and humor in my work, um, I'm really drawn to using colors like that because of their ability to grab attention, um, as well as, like, using it in a way that starts to, like, push the photo to, like, the edge of reality, where it starts to get, like, you know, it's not like completely a rejection of reality. Um, like I think I might have talked about this a little bit last time I was on, but um, where it's just kind of like something's like a little off, like it starts to get like a little weird. Um, it's not just like a normal scene from from reality, but it's not entirely fake either. Um, so like in, in some of the, the photos that are a part of this exhibition, I'm kind of like using pink to kind of do that, to kind of like push it into that otherness that weirdness that's going on do you think that level of weirdness let's call it is dependent on the type of shade of pink do you think that fluctuates at all 
Yeah, that's actually like yeah, um something else I was like thinking about like um like when I was kind of like uh um uh like thinking about this exhibition and everything was how pink it can be like so like versatile like depending on the shade of pink it can have so so many different meanings. So it's like interesting how like you know we hear pink and we think pink and then we have like these like very strict like associations and connotations with it when like pink itself actually has like a huge range just in itself yeah that's definitely something we've been talking about um with the artists and the show is is the varying degrees of pink how you have like a very soft baby pink even something that's very fleshy uh we've been saying a lot into something that's very punchy and in your face type pink oh Um, yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so how do the themes of gender femininity and masculinity inform your approach to work with the color pink and and even thinking about all these different shades and how they all relate or they don't relate even yeah well i think like when when i'm making work and i'm like using the color pink i think like my first reaction to it is its ability to like stand out and grab attention but like not like depending like across all the shades like not just like the bold like hot neon pinks but even like the softer like baby pinks and like the like the fleshy pinks can even kind of like really stand out and grab attention um so that's like my first response to it but i think then like the connotations of gender um, of course, start coming in like after the fact and influencing um, the work after that first response. Um, I, I think though, like actually, the stronger connotation for me um, is with childhood, because um, like themes of like childhood and like play are like they like run through my work quite often. Um, so like I'm thinking particularly of like uh, the of my photos in this exhibition. I'm thinking of. Um, the one of the person dressed up as like a mermaid in like the pink room and the other one that's a self portrait of me, um, like what looks like smoking a pink crayon. Um, so I, 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 um, like right after that first response, I'm, I'm also thinking a lot of like, uh, childhood and this like play and, and different connotations that can happen with that, with the color pink. Um, but then of course, like, um, themes of gender and like femininity and masculinity do also um, come into play as well. I think there's also the aspect of uh, different economic and social theories too in that of um, thinking of millennial pink and how pink can become trendy. Um, It's kind of separated from that otherness and it it becomes a trend in itself. Um, Do you have any thoughts about that? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I totally agree with that. Um, and I, I'm not sure, like, where it comes from. And I'd be really interested into, like, seeing some of the research on that. Like, I wonder if it's, like... The research on, like, millennial pink? Is that what you... Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, oh, I, like, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm f- familiar with, like, millennial pink and stuff like that. But thinking, like, like, the really deep research on, like, where, like, what was the origins of this? Like, I wonder if it's, like, is it nostalgia for, like, colors of our childhood? Like, I'm thinking, like, Lisa Frank, Polly Pocket, things like that. Or is it something, like you know, just embracing this, like, um, like, femininity and softness and it's, like, associations with pink and being, like, you know what, like, we can, we can em- embrace this and we're gonna, you know, if I like it, I'm gonna go with it and, and, um, like, I wonder, like, what, where, where, where that comes from. 
but um, I definitely think like some like it definitely came from somewhere, and I think it definitely became like a trend, and it just kind of like blew up. Yeah, you see it everywhere, and then now it's. Of course, I think millennial pink is still very popular, but I I feel like rose gold and blush are kind of the next generation of millennial pink. Yeah, and they're everywhere. I can't hide oh, yeah. from it. Absolutely. Impossible. Yeah. So yeah, I just that's an interesting idea to think of, like why why are people so attracted to these colors, especially now? Like why now? Um, yeah. it's, it's not. You know, it's not like rose gold is new. You know, blush isn't new. These these have been around mm-hmm. for a long time. But why why are people so invested in it now? And I guess that ties into um, my next question is, how can art, consumerism, and, and pink exist together, in your opinion? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, speaking of, like, like um, rose gold and, and things like that, like... Um, have either of you seen Sarah Swinar's video, Rose Gold? Uh, yeah. No, but I'm going to look yeah, it look up, up this it's minute. It's on YouTube. Um, it's uh, like eight minutes long. I just, I just watched it recently. Um, and yeah, and it's totally about this like, like art, consumerism, and pink existing together. And, and I mean, and more like other colors and stuff as well. It's, it's really interesting. I definitely, I definitely suggest checking it out. Um, but so, like, thinking about like um, art consumerism and like pink, um, I think when I think about not necessarily just pink, but when I think of like art consumerism and color, I actually think about like the history of color photography and its mm-hmm. relationship with like art and consumerism. So, like, I think about how like um, the first uh, color film, like the like in like the first easily usable i'll say color film was kodachrome in the 30s and like magazines like for fashion and advertising starting using color instantly because they're like oh great this is like catchy grabs attention and it's also like true to life so you can like look at an outfit and the colors and know exactly like what it's going to look like in real life obviously since most people are not seeing you know are seeing in in um in color um, so that's perfect, you know, for like consumerism, but it wasn't seen as art and like the art world really, really rejected color photography, partially because of that association with like advertising and fashion. And like, everyone's like, oh, it wasn't until like the seventies, like William Eggleston, you know, supposedly like, like legitimizing it, you know, like being like, oh my God. I mean, there's plenty of people that were using color photography before that, but you know, it, it definitely was, wasn't until like the seventies where it became more prevalent. So I was kind of thinking about, like, why didn't something, like, with pink becoming such a trend, and, like, with especially, like, millennial pink and, like, things like that, like, why didn't, why didn't we see something, or at least, I mean, at least I didn't see something, like, similar going on, and I was thinking about, like, maybe, um, is it because, like, artists today aren't afraid of that association with, like, commercialism and, like, consumerism, and, in fact, many artists are, like, embracing that or purposefully wanting their work to have like an association with that um yeah i don't really know i was just i like i i don't really quite know what happened there yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and even when you just brought up film photography as with the connection of or color film and and the commercialization of that i i thought of 
Technicolor movies as well. It, it was kind of like the first real marketable item for people to consume that translated life into color that was not, you know, reality. Yeah. Um, and and I always think of the Think Pink song in section in um, uh, Audrey Hepburn film. Um, like, and it's just so, such a bold color, I think, at the time. And you're kind of, like, foreshadowing our, our ending of the show, which I can say is we're doing a little segment on, like, the history of pink. Um, very small, <laughs> since it's Instagram. But I think you're right that and during the 50s, let's say, super boost of consumerism, and that's everything that people focused on. And, and maybe they shied away from that because it was such an advertising uh trope i guess and, and now somehow it's okay yeah. um i'm not quite sure how you get there but it's interesting to think about yeah and it is interesting that you bring up technicolor because i'm thinking about how it took it took until kodachrome for color photography to blow up because it was like the kind of film that you could just like put in your already existing camera and it worked exactly you know like you didn't like color photography before that you had to do some like it was like a completely different process. Like you couldn't just use like the same camera that you were used to. You had to like, you know, um, it was right. a lot more involved, but with Technicolor, it blew up, but it wasn't as easy to use. Like it was like three separate rolls yeah. of film that were being split by a prism and filtered different wavelengths of light. Like the cameras are huge and they required so many lights. Like I'm sure you've probably heard of like, stories of like uh, filming the wizard of oz how people were like passing out due to heat exhaustion because the studio lights had to be so so bright and it's such a difficult process but it blew up where color photography didn't really until it was easy yeah and and maybe that is kind of the the balance between what people consider fine art or and then design and just like this commercialization of of art essentially but yeah you know, Technicolor was the first level of that. It made it more acceptable, maybe, to an everyday audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I, I wish I had. I wish I had a better answer, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's interesting to think about, regardless. It is, yeah, because I think even so, just like the history of of Hollywood costumes and sets and all of that. Like, of course, they're theatrical because. It's a movie, but like they were made extra theatrical because it was a movie and because it had to be shown, you know, on international screens and it needed to, to have that extra level, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, it mm -hmm. just was like on steroids at the yeah. end of it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But I think you really hit the nail on the head with this idea of nostalgia. I mean, even looking at, you're talking about the history of pink in the 20th century, it's kind of like the rose-colored glasses. Like, you're looking at it through this super nostalgic filter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, like, how like how much of nostalgia is, like, playing a role in, in all that. Like, it, I mean, sure, I mean, definitely it's playing a role, but, like, how much? Is it most of it? Like, what's... I don't know. Yeah, because I think just from my quick research here, pink in the United States in like the 50s really hit a high with Mammy Eisenhower's inaugural gown and just 
Mammy Eisenhower in general was just all pink all the time. So you have this, and it was like definitely like that blush, like baby pink color that I think is very popular right now. Um, But, you know, it's not like we're having a revival of Mammy Eisenhower herself. It's just the color pink. So how, you know, and I think in the 50s, that color pink was so ingrained with her identity and so ingrained in the 50s culture um, through design. It's interesting how it was kind of separated. You know, we don't see, you know, the ridiculous pink bathroom today. I mean, if we did, I would find that amazing. But, um, but yeah, so like how, how, how did people successfully separate it? I guess it's an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, when I, when I think of like millennial pink, um, what I associate it with is like girls toys in like the nineties, because I specifically think of like the toys that I wish I could have played with, but I was too afraid to (laughs) like when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's always like, it's definitely Barbie aesthetic, but it's it's even like slightly a lighter color than Barbie, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting hearing about your relationship with the color pink too, how it's evolved of kind of revisiting um, how you thought of it as a child that way. So do you do you like the color pink now? Like, do you wear it? Um, I do. Um, I do. I mean, I don't have like too many like outfits that are pink but yeah i do have i have some things that are pink they're just just like um like two or three weeks ago i was at family dollar just like picking up just like regular just like you know things that you get at family dollar and i was walking down the one aisle and i saw they had this like glittery pink cup and i was like i want that (laughs) so now it's like what i drink my water out of every day um and i was like it's flashy it's extreme it's totally ridiculous and i love it um and that's like the same sort of reasons why i'm drawn to it like in my own work um because of that like boldness and flashiness and and weirdness one thing i really love about the color pink and a couple other colors similar to it like magenta and purple um is because they're non-spectral colors so like if you I, I'm really, really fascinated with color theory, and I love, I love color theory. It blows my mind. Like, so when you look at like um, the entire electromagnetic spectrum, like radio waves, microwaves, infrared radiation, and then you have like um, your visible light, and then you have like ultraviolet, X-rays, gamma rays. So if you look at like that slice that is visible light, you'll notice it's a line, and if you go beyond red it's infrared. And if you go beyond violet, it's ultraviolet. And magenta specifically isn't on the spectrum. It is a non-spectral color. So like when you look at a color wheel, then it's not a line, it's a circle. The two ends, the violet end and the red end are pointed to each other. And that gap is filled with magenta, which also contains like a true purple and like different levels of pink and stuff like that. Um, And so, like, all colors on the spectrum can be made with a single wavelength of color, but non-spectral colors can't. Like, um, it has to be, like, so for example, magenta is blue and red mixing together, and then your brain literally invents a color. 
Like magenta doesn't really exist. It's your eyes getting um, blue wavelengths and red wavelengths. And normally when it gets two wavelengths, it like gives you the color in the middle, but in the middle is green and it's like, oh, but there's no green in here. So it's like, what's going on here? So it's like, oh, let's just like make up this color that looks like this. And then it just presents your mind's eye with this color magenta. And it's just basically this hallucination. Um, and then pink is a little different because it's actually red mixed with white. So it's interesting. Pink actually contains the full spectrum of light, but it just has a little extra red. So it goes from white and starts turning a little red. And that's where it gets like that, that pink color. But then like what we usually associate with like hot pink is usually like in that magenta range. Um, and then so like some other non-spectral colors are like, um, brown and tan which are like variations on like orange and yellow and like other colors that require like textural elements like if you think about like gold or silver where it's just kind of like basically yellow and gray but just add some like textural shininess to get this different effect to it and i just i love non-spectral colors i think it's so cool and i think it's also like a good representation of queerness because it's like not on the normal spectrum you know it's totally just leaving the spectrum behind and saying screw that i'm totally different right right I love that. Mm-hmm. That's fun. I, I forget like how I first kind of like dove into my own research on this. I think it was like, like, I think I like either came across the term like non-spectral color or I, or I might've realized I was like, wait a second. If the like visible light spectrum is a line with like red and blue slash violet being on completely opposite ends of this spectrum that point in different directions, how does a color wheel exist? Like where, how, like, how can you just take this and just like fold it up? Like, that doesn't make sense. I just love doing like little like research on things like that. Cause sometimes it just like, it just irritates me. And I'm like, I have to like figure this out. Like I need to do this research and like know how this works. I feel like that should be in every curriculum that you have this basis of knowledge. Yeah, just in life, just in general. But I think, I think you can definitely see it in your work for this show. Like just that sense of color that like the pink just the non-spectrum color like you were talking about like once you said it it's like yeah i now i see it in your work Mm -hmm. probably from here on out it's great yeah so so say like speaking of non-spectral colors but what is your favorite color to work with pink is definitely one of them um i would say probably more like a magenta pink because because it truly is like in the middle of those like ends of the spectrum and also because it is more flashy and it's a more vibrant and more like attention getting than like a than like a, a softer more like pastel pink color i i would say i don't i don't know if i don't know how prevalent it is in my work but i'm also really like like the color purple is definitely um might be like my favorite color just overall um and additionally one of the reasons is because true purple is a uh, is a non-spectral color um Violet and purple are different. I will say that. Um, and yeah, I think it's just, it's like, it's kind of in this weird area between a warm color and a cool color. And it can be kind of both. Like, you know, you can see a shade of purple that is warm. You can see a shade of purple that is cool. And I really like uh, versatile colors like that. And um, similar to, similarly to how we were talking about earlier about how pink is so versatile, depending on like the, the shade of pink. And I, I think that's really wonderful. And I think it's a good, like I said, like I mentioned a little bit ago too, it's a good representation of queerness, you know, like being able to take something that is supposedly like 
we know what it is like pink it is this label we have you know we know what it is but it's like but there's actually this whole world behind it and it can be one thing it can be another thing it can be con uh, be connected to this it can be connected to that it can just be whatever yeah uh, and i don't think there is any other color that is quite so diverse as pink yeah yeah absolutely i mean yeah because like i mean it's interesting, like another little color theory thing. It's interesting how, because like pink, like I said, is just like a light red, but we perceive it as a completely different color. Whereas we don't see like a light blue as a different color usually, or light green. You know, we just say light green, light blue. But that pink is so charged and it's so demanding in its own. I don't, not maybe not demanding, but it's so present. It's so has so much energy that it demands its own label is what I'm saying, because it has just in itself is, has so much going on that it's separate from red. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. So what's next for you and your creative ventures? Um, well, probably the, um, the biggest thing is I have some residencies coming up that I'm really looking forward to. Um, I'm going to be spending um, three months at the Santa Fe Art Institute in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And then I'll be spending a month in Homer, Alaska at the Bunnell Street Art Center. Um, and then I have another residency in France that's two weeks that the date is moving around a lot because it was supposed to happen in April of 2020. And then it was pushed back and pushed back again and again and again. So we're finally hoping it's happening some point in like next spring, summer, but so we'll see exciting. what happens. Where, where in France? Um, all on the, like the Southern coast. Oh, okay. I studied in the mm -hmm. South of France, like about an hour outside of Marseille. Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. How long were you there? Uh, we can talk after the show. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing though. That sounds like an amazing slate of residencies coming up. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. There's like lots of projects that I kind of like have had on the back burner that I'm looking forward to having the time and the space and the resources to move to the front burner. Um, oh. So I'm like, I, I really want to kind of like, um, there's like some video work that I just haven't, like that I've had in, in uh, sitting in my notes app on my phone, just like ideas and brainstorming some words and phrases that I, you know, am excited to kind of actually make some work with and, you know, make some weird stuff. That's awesome. So where can people find your work online? Um, either my uh, website or my Instagram. My Instagram, um, Jesse Egner, is just my name, J-E-S-S-E-E-G-N-E-R. And then my website is just that.com, like my name, jesseegner.com. Yeah, we'll definitely post those in our show notes. So, Jesse, thank you so much for talking to us again. This has been great. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Of course. So you can find Jesse's work on our Instagram page, p.s.exhibitions. Uh, in the new exhibition, Pink the Coded Color, and it will be running through December. So thank you, and until next time on PS Exhibitions Podcast, bye!